the nomcast the netflix original movie podcast i am your host andrew morgan you can follow the show at nomcast pod on twitter and instagram or check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com all right thanks for tuning in to this one always glad to have you with us we have an excellent conversation with my friend the actor comedian kevin dolan coming up where we reviewed the latest ryan murphy project for netflix the boys in the band I can't wait for you guys to all hear that one. We also have a cool online event we're hosting this Friday night that I want to tell you guys about. So stick around after these quick promos from my podcast friends at Forgotten Entertainment, and we'll be back with more Netflix goodness. like beer do you like podcasts do you like beer podcasts then check out crack and one open a podcast about brews news and pop culture reviews every week we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country and sometimes the world we'll talk about how it was made what's in it the history of the brew and the brewery then we'll give our tasting notes and while we're finishing up we'll talk about some of the latest goings on in the world of pop culture so check out crack and one open with mike and elise part of the forgotten entertainment family I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. It's October. You know what that means. Another month of Forgotten Horror. Join us for four weeks of Forgotten Horror films. Mike, what are they? John Carpenter's Vampires, The House with a Clock in Its Walls, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, and the 2013 remake of Evil Dead. Ooh, sounds scary. It is. <laughs> so mark your calendars every Wednesday in October for Forgotten Horror, where you can listen to the scariest in forgotten cinema. We're back and we're scary. Get some! All right, welcome back to the show. Like I said up top, this episode is our review of the latest iteration of The Boys in the Band, a stage play from the late 60s that was turned into a film in the early 70s, then revived recently as a stage play again, and now brought back to the screen by the prolific and incredibly busy producer Ryan Murphy. And this film is part of a five-year, $300 million deal Netflix struck with Murphy a couple years ago that has already produced multiple TV shows like Ratched, which is on right now, uh, The Politician that came out recently. I think that might even be in a, a second season now. Uh, a couple of documentaries uh, that featured some very compelling LGBTQ plus stories that needed to be heard uh, that were pretty good that came out on Netflix. And soon, another film adapted from Broadway, The Prom, which has been announced to premiere on Netflix in December. Our film today, The Boys in the Band, stars Jim Parsons from Big Bang Theory, Matt Bomer of Magic Mike, and one of my all-time favorite shows, White Collar. Zachary Quinto of Heroes and the rebooted Star Trek films is here as well, alongside many, many talented actors in an incredibly deep cast that was taken directly from the Broadway revival that was incredibly successful, both critically and financially. So you could see why Netflix would be definitely interested in producing this film. Joining me for our review is a very talented actor and comedian whom I've worked with many times over the years, Mr. Kevin Dolan. Uh, he is a, he's a good man, 
and a veteran of all forms of the stage, and he really cares about entertainment and the history of the art form. So he brought exactly what I hoped he would for this conversation you're about to hear. So we will get into that in just a moment. But first, I want to urge anyone who hasn't already to please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast, The Nomcast, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Also, uh, like I said before, I want you all to clear your calendars for this Friday night as we are hosting our first ever Netflix watch party. That's right, uh, where you can discuss a film in real time with me and some of my favorite podcast friends. And if you want, bring your friends, of course. Uh, We will be watching the new Adam Sandler comedy, Hubie Halloween, which we profiled in our last episode about all the October films, especially the horror films and all the Halloween films coming out. Uh, So check out that episode, of course. And, you know, I can't imagine a more perfect movie to do a watch party for because whether you love Sandler's comedies or not, there's always something to talk about. So do yourself a favor. Follow us on Facebook. Check out the event page that we set up for this. And we'll provide you all the details you'll need right there so you don't miss out on any of the fun. Check into the page at 8.30 p.m. Eastern to set it up, and we will be starting the film at 9. So join us this Friday night for that. All right, let's get to it. Here it is, our review of The Boys in the Band with actor-comedian Kevin Dolan, starting with a clip from the film right now. Give a listen. This old college friend of mine is in town, and he's stopping by for a fast drink on his way to dinner somewhere, but he's straight, so straight. If he's the one I met, he's about as straight as the yellow brick road. No, you met Justin Stewart. It is not that I care what he would think of me, really. It's just, he's not ready for it, and he never will be. You understand that, don't you, Hank? Sure. Do you really think he doesn't know about you? If there is the slightest suspicion, he's never let on one bit. Was he had a lobotomy? (laughs) Hey, I was super careful when I was in college, and I still am whenever I see him. I don't know why, but I am. Tilt. I was just like Alan when I was in college. I was very large in the dating department. I wore nothing but those constipated Ivy League clothes and those, oh, those 10-pound Cordovan shoes. No offense. Quite all right. All right. Kevin Dolan is here. I am so happy to talk to this man. Uh, There is no better person to talk to about this film than Kevin Dolan. Uh, I appreciate him as a friend, and he is an excellent guest that I was lucky to have on our Velvet Buzzsaw episode. Uh, Thank you for doing this, Kevin. Oh, I'm more than happy to do it. I have to hire you as my publicist. That's that's, (laughs) a good good lead-in. I like that. I, I would gladly, and I hope okay. that I, I, I do you uh, a good service on uh, the <laughs> intro, the actual recorded later intro as well. But, oh, it's going to be great. Okay. Uh, yeah, but you are an excellent person to talk to uh, about this. We talked off mic about uh, the fact that you were uh, a person who had seen the revival, the play right. on Broadway, uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, we just kind of were we're talking here too uh that you are actually in this play an off-broadway production right oh it's way yeah we did it in westbury it was a westbury it's a music festival now but it used to have a 
um, some dramatic and co- comedies that would do. It was like summer stock. Uh, and that was way back when Ice Cover the Earth in uh, the late 90s, I believe it was. <laughs> yeah, and, so. and so how much did you know before you did that version of the revival in the 90s? How much did you know about the, the play back in the late 60s and the film from the 70s, the, the Bill Freakin movie? Well, it's, you know, I, 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 la- I, I make jokes about this, but it's true. There's some uh, pieces of literature and, and uh, music and movies that a lot of, you know, newly outed uh, people in the LGBT community are aware of. And the boys in the band was one of them. Right. Um, so I would, I, I grabbed a copy early on uh, of the play itself and I used to take it out around with me. I, I would take the Diane Vreeland book around with me too because it was, it was just something that spoke to you. Right. Um, so I knew the source material pretty well. Um, and then the Friedkin movie was very much ahead of its time given the fact that uh, there were very few houses that would play it because it was considered, you know, so shocking sure at that time sure because it was all pre-stonewall um and when it's something that was pre-stonewall you know there were very few places that gay people uh could congregate in public sure uh that called that would people would not go oh god here comes here come the fags you know what i mean that's sure i hate that word but that's something that they use all the time so well i was about to say not only that but they <laughs> said it quite a few times in this film as well oh yeah oh yeah yeah uh, they used they used pretty much every single slur you could figure out they yes. used it in during the course of this of the, of the evening yes so knowing the story as well as you did and and what maybe it meant to you what did it mean to you i mean you didn't uh go through that period the late 60s uh no. you're doing that but I, what did it mean to you when you discovered it because a lot of people uh you know someone who was in your situation back then uh sure. is discovering maybe this material for the first time on netflix now and you know it's different now you sure. i would imagine uh, for for someone who's coming out potentially sure. than back then well i'm not saying that yeah. makes it easy no By it's no not. means do i mean that but no, it no. is definitely different and more open sure. now sure which is which is wonderful because you know every every generation stands on the shoulder of the person before it so all the people in the 60s and 70s the people in the 80s we have a lot to thank them for sure. um and you know it's what was amazing to me was reading the source material about it, how scary it was to know that, you know, there's a line in there and it's not so much spoiling it, but when one of the characters hears a knock at the door, they, they say, hurry up and make sure you're at least three feet apart from the person next to you. <laughs> yeah. Because, because the, it, there, was a, there was a time where the police, if they got a call, they would, they would just barge in and they sure. would round them all up and throw them in a paddy wagon which is a scary situation. Um, but what I liked most about it, what, what it meant to me was here was a group of friends. You wouldn't know it when they, during the course of the evening, things sure. don't go as planned, but they are friends and they are the, each other's sort of lifeline because right. they didn't have anybody else. So I was they knew say, that. Yeah, the latter seems more accurate at times sure. than the friends part. But, you know, in such a small community or at least 
what a version of safety looks like is Correct. something like this, where it's, you know, a small gathering in an indoor space, you know, mm-hmm. something to where you can kind of congregate and not feel like the world is on top of you, but it could yeah. end at any moment. I mean, when, whenever they open the door, there are moments you, that it's like, Oh my God, what are we, you, what are we you interacting hold your breath. With? Right. Yeah, you, you hold your breath. Yeah, Absolutely. So, so for the people at home, uh, obviously, I would assume you watch this movie, but the, the basic crux of this film, to set the table a little bit, it is uh, in New York City in 1968. It is a birthday party uh, where a surprise guest in a drunken game leaves seven gay friends reckoning with unspoken feelings and buried truths. Obviously, there's a lot more than that, and a lot of people were familiar with the story before this movie came out. Uh, one of those... You know, Ryan Murphy is the producer of this film who, you know, is kind of setting up camp here with Netflix, you know, and with uh, with several thousand zeros after his 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 contract. Yes. Yeah. He's not hurting. But of course, he could have done anything. I mean, he could have, you know, followed up with, you know, he's such a he's such a wonderful well he's a member of the community but he's such a wonderful friend to the community yeah he's also very smart in that he develops almost like a rep company where he uses a lot of of the same actors in his productions because he knows how they know he knows their work ethic and that's very obvious in this in this show yeah i know that um just for instance i mean another film that was uh you know probably something that was an important film in the gay community uh, for the normal heart that was on HBO uh, was something he produced. I believe that was like 2014. And yeah, you know, uh, I know Matt Bomer's in that. I know Mm -hmm. Parsons is in that. So, you know, definitely he uses a lot of people over and over. Zachary Quinto was an American horror story. I mean, you and on and on and on, you know, it definitely keeps going, like you said, throughout this whole film. Um, But, one of the things that is impressive about this film is the cast. And as you know, because you saw the play on, Mm -hmm. on Broadway uh, that this is the same cast that it was important that they brought everybody and not only just the cast, but so from what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Uh uh, because I was surprised to see Joe Mantello direct this film because he hadn't directed a feature since 97. So Correct. it was kind of one of those things like, okay, I know he's an actor. I know he's directed mm-hmm. a little bit, but why here? Because he's mostly done acting and producing. Right. Um, so why would he, you know, kind of jump in here? But so did he have, uh, did he direct the play at all? Yes, he did. Okay. Yeah. I thought so. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a produ- he, he helped in the production side of it as well. Sure. Yeah. So I know, I guess the continuity is something that they desperately wanted to have as far as well, this goes. They're using the same cast of ev- and everybody. In, and for people who don't, re- who don't know it, everybody in the cast are all out gay men right. in, in public, which is super important uh, to, to note because you can write, as a straight person, you could write a gay character. But unless you've actually sat or stood in their shoes, it doesn't have a certain ring of truth to it. And that's For what sure. he wanted to bring to it. Uh, but yeah, Joe, Joe's fantastic. Um, I worked with him. Uh, there was a, a, a play that he did 
with Stocker Channing and Judith Wright and Stacey Keach, uh, God, probably about five or six years ago, called Other Desert Cities. Um, and he's fantastic. He, he is one of the best directors in that he lets the actors do their job. Right. He, he's not overly critical. He knows what he wants in the scene. He'll tell the actor what he wants, and he expects them to deliver, and they do. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the one thing that I was impressed, especially with his direction for this film, was that it's. I find it very difficult to have a stage play, especially in a very well-known stage play, to be yeah. adapted to the screen. Because a lot of times, you know, especially something like this, where it's a kind of like, it's mostly just one location. You know, you kind of cla- have... It's claustrophobic. It could it be is. claustrophobic. Yeah. And it's hard to make it interesting, too. Mm-hmm. So, and, yeah. and for him to have the pacing that it does and kind of, you know, at times a, a frantic nature, but also be well within just one apartment is impressive uh, to do at times. Oh, absolutely. And, and to make things interesting. So I, that only comes from someone who's so familiar with the staging of how yeah. things should be and and to really think deep on how to make something like that compelling for the small screen. Um, and what's what's really cool too is what couldn't be done on on the stage was there are certain types of flashbacks that take you out of that room out of that apartment mm. that helps you understand it. Right. Which actually in in that respect it actually is um really uh, amazing to see and it, it sort of adds to the uh, dimension of the of the piece itself i was gonna say uh elaborate on that a little bit because i i'm not uh, like i said uh the film here is the only version of the story that i know so if, if you had to tell someone who hadn't seen anything so basically me uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> what is different from the play or some of the previous iterations to this version well the exposition I'm, I'm, I'm very cognizant of, of your rule, Andrew, and I don't like to do spoilers. So you'll have sure. to, you let me, let me speak, let me think about how to speak this. You, um, the difference with this is there's so much exposition uh, on stage. Right. Especially when, when, I'm not going to say too much, but when the game starts. Yes. There's, there's a lot that each character has to say to the audience. Right. With, uh, and they allow them to use their imagination. Sure. Um, and what's good about the, the film diversion is as they speak, Ryan Murphy provides you context of what they're talking about. Right. Which is really important for people. And this is people who, you know, when I, when I watched it, um, I, I watched it a bunch of times. But when I watched it the first time, there was, there was a, a, an equal amount of gay people and straight people in the room. Right. And certain aspects you would think that the straight people would be uncomfortable with because there are certain scenes that you're like, I don't know if they're going to, you know, cringe at it. Sure. But they were so um, immersed in the story that that was basically incidental, uh, which is good to see, you know? Yeah. No, I said a lot of that actually uh, I found very interesting in terms of the, the quote, straight people in the room mm-hmm. uh, for some of those stories about. I mean, and we could get into that once we get more spoilery, but like kind of the reactions sure. of some of them sure. in those moments was very, 
interesting considering how they got to that moment everything that preceded that moment so uh like i said we'll we'll get to that when we get to more Mm -hmm. spoiler stuff but that is for sure uh something that i was very uh i was taken aback by it a little bit sure um but it's it's interesting to see where that goes but it also speaks to um you know alan (laughs) if we will to say where that goes so um, a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you about, because one thing uh, I will say is obviously this, this story is not my experience. So, sure. you know, so for something of this tale, I know what it could mean to you and you've alluded to some of what it is. But what I will say is that something about uh, the chemistry between the, uh, the characters here and you were saying a lot about how you wouldn't ultimately think of them as friends. I did have a lot of those thoughts because uh, some of the behaviors either interpersonally or Mm -hmm. just even uh, for how Michael's behavior is throughout the film uh, is definitely um, it's a lot of it. I would almost characterize as men in arrested development almost Um, acting like teenagers at a sleepover more than like kind of, you know, (laughs) <laughs> well, buddies, I, exactly. I, I don't want to. I I don't want this to come out disparaging against our community because it's not. But it's there are certain times in this in this production where you feel like you're sitting at the table with either the Mean Girls or the Heather's. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just, and it's it comes from whenever you are in a group of people who are well aware of each member of that group's history. Right. They can weaponize parts of that history. For sure. If they're having a difficult time. And you have to learn if you are that good of friends to take it and either walk away with it, but realize that this is just one small event in your entire relationship. Right. You know, that's how you have to look at it. So now that you've watched the film many times, mm-hmm. how does it compare to the play? Would you say that because there is more possible in-depth characterization mm-hmm. in the play, that the play mm-hmm. is maybe more enjoyable? Or how would you ah. characterize the difference between the two? I think the play is, is more, when you see it on stage, it's more intimate. And that has to do with the lighting and, sure. the, and the way it's, it's staged. Uh, it's more intimate. This one, it seems a little bit broader because it has to be, you know, when you're dealing with, with film. Uh, but I, I equally enjoyed both of them. I, I mean, I wouldn't prefer one to the other. I like live theater because that's what my, where my life was. Right. Uh, and it's, it, it bums me out that there isn't any anymore, at least for, for the time being. But uh, I really enjoyed Plus, it all depends on where you see that production. Mm. That's true with produ- any theater production, unfortunately. Right. And, this, yeah. and this production was at the Booth. The Booth Theater is a very intimate house. Sure. It's not as large as the other houses. So it, 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 it's, it all depends on uh, that. That's a big part of it. But right. um, I think it's, uh, if you don't have a chance to go to live theater, the, the script is pretty much um, verbatim from mm. when you see the, the script on stage. There's stuff that's been cut out and there's stuff that uh, certain characters say that uh, in the film version that they, that they don't say on the stage version. And right. I think that just has to do with uh, continuity pretty much, you know, 
But uh, yeah. but it's a uh, one of the things that's really interesting when you see this production is it's very linear in terms of the shots. Mm. It's it's from the the outside right to the front door. Right. That's and that's a really it's very almost Hitchcockian when you think of like rear window, which is one perspective on. True. You know, so um, that's 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 a, a great way to to shoot it. Right. Now, also, because we have the luxury of having the same cast uh, side by side here, is there anyone who do you think plays better in the film version? Because maybe that's where, you know, because these these are actors that have done both, obviously, even before uh, the fact that they were in both the play and the movie here. They have, you know, histories with TV and film beforehand. Is there anyone who you think maybe plays better in the film version? Uh, maybe because I, it fits the strengths of one of them. I well, I think um, the char- the Alan. I think Alan is much more relatable. I, I don't know if I should say the word relatable, but you have a better handle on Alan in the film version. Mm. And I think just just because the way that he was featured on stage was a little bit different. Okay. Um, I think Andrew Reynolds and. Tuck Watkins, because they're now together off camera as well. Right. Um, oh, that's they, interesting. Their relationship. I don't. I don't know all the specifics about it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's. How still dare happening. you, Kevin? No, I know. <laughs> I don't know if it's still happening, but I do know that they were for a while. I don't know, but their relationship is really intense, and it, it does. It does feature better in the in the film. And then one other one other thing is. Emery, who is he's he's such a delight in yeah. he's a delightful character who holds a lot of stuff inside of him, but his monologue in this uh, in this version is quite spectacular. Well, it's, um, the, it's the beauty of film, right? Because yeah. you can get that right up close version, yeah. See a lot of the emotion and, that's truly going through them. Well, and his story in particular you need to see his reactions up close. Yes. You know? So, yeah. Yeah, I would say between his and Bernard's story. Bernard's, oh. It's, they're both heartbreaking, but very relatable. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing that I think a lot of people need to remember is, you know, no matter what the sexual uh, inclination is to any group of people, right? you have the ones who are who is the sloppy drunk, who is the peacemaker, who's the troublemaker, who's the uh, ultimate host. Um, You have that couple that are built for public consumption, but in private, they may be falling apart, that everybody knows about but won't say anything about. Sure. Uh, So it just so happens that this is a group of gay men, but this could be easily anybody. It could be any group of friends. It's just, that's, that's the whole point of it. It is based in love and it is based in friendship. And sometimes uh, you, have, you have horrible fights with your friends. Uh, sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes both of you just are, you know, you're, sometimes you're too close. Sure. And you need, you, need a, you need to break away for a little while. Right. But, uh, it just, I think that's, that's important to note. And I will say, because I don't, I don't want to, you know, make it seem like I'm not being as genuine as to how I truly feel about the film. I think the film is 
okay. It's, I mm-hmm. think it's a little about, I think the direction is very good. The cast mm-hmm. is very impressive, but the one thing that really knocked it down for me in terms of the sure. experience is Jim Parsons. And I don't mean that as a person who out and out hates Big Bang Theory, because I do. No, um, I know. But, I but know Jim, that's a source, but it's a source spot. We yeah. won't even talk about it. We won't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say uh, that uh, there are times in this movie where I'm like, this is the best stuff I've ever seen him do. Uh, you know, I've been impressed with him. Yeah. The stuff that he's been in outside of Big Bang Theory. So I don't hate him as an actor or anything. So I don't want to seem to disparage. No, him. no, no. But what I will say is that this movie hinges on him. Like for how much yeah. this is an ensemble, and it truly is, uh, the, the, the fact that he, they, they set up the alcohol thing a little early on but they don't make it seem to where it was this huge problem that he can just be so quick to anger and quick to changing of behavior because my goodness does he do Jekyll and Hyde so fast but almost in an awkward weird transition because I find a small spoiler uh, basically to me the movie is pre-punch and post-punch for anyone who knows what i'm talking about i'll keep it vague yeah but right as the the fight happens mm-hmm. the his reaction michael's reaction is mm-hmm. nothing it's literally to just stand back and well what he what he, he is yeah right. he is he'll poke the bear yes and he'll get the bear growling and then he's going to see exactly if the bear attacks and who he attacks. Yeah. It's just, odd. He's, a, he's, it's, it's a very, it's a very hard, um, it's a hard part to do convincingly because with every drink that he takes, mm-hmm. I think you can see that the physicality changes. The look on his face changes. Right. And I think a lot of that has to do also with, um, who his next target is. Sure. But I would think because of the way yeah. he, he deals with Alan, which is the, yeah. the big crux of this story, of course, is he... Alan, sh- Alan should have just stayed home, is what Alan should have done. <laughs> a- For sure. A- a- he had many Alan, outs. Alan, Alan made a mistake early on, and he just kept making mistakes. Uh, yeah, that was... That's, that's tough. Yeah, and you see... In ter- even in terms of exposition, he knows Alan, and yes. he knows what Alan keeps inside of him. Yeah, and it's just a matter of, like once again, what I said, he can weaponize stuff that perhaps is unique to just an experience with one other person. Yeah, it's just uh, he goes from being such an apologist early yeah. and trying to protect yeah. his feelings and changes so quickly even kind of before the 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 fighting and yeah. everything else goes through so it's a, it's it's a delicate balance that i don't know if i loved parsons for but i will say literally everyone else i loved in some version like sure. especially um uh especially larry and hank uh oh, larry and hank, hank as fantastic. a couple was so compelling and, and we already kind of went through, you know, some of the more personal stories of Emery and, yes. and, and you and know, Bernard. 
and Bernard. Uh, so uh, you have a lot of good performances, but in waves. I mean, because it's sure. It, and and uh, <laughs> the one thing I'll ask you, especially because you performed yeah. it, the game itself, I feel, is a weird stakes game because technically it's like it doesn't who, it doesn't really make a lot of sense and no. there really isn't no and I, you know i don't think crowley is going to care that i have any comments about <laughs> right. whether or not he did it or not. but it doesn't make any sense and it also doesn't it wouldn't motivate me to play no it wouldn't compel anyone to basically almost ruin their life except and, for the fact that alcohol is involved and people right. do a bunch of weird stuff in that regard. Well, and also, once again, Michael isn't going to take no for an answer. And right. if you decide to leave, you know, you're the bitch of the evening and you're going to, he will carry this on ostensibly sure. for the next few times that you see him and he won't let it go. Right. That's just the way the character is. He will make sure that he keeps that in his file and he will bring it up whenever he needs to right you know now well the other thing is very interesting with him is even with when it comes to alan when he, when alan calls the look on his face that's right. really important you know but yeah go ahead i didn't interrupt you no that's fine uh i would say like uh, just to, so i'm not like <laughs> bashing on parsons too much. no that's fine but, but the um who would you say that you think you know sells this movie for you like especially this is an older story uh-huh um and how would you maybe pitch this to someone who you know is younger than both of us you know somebody uh-huh. who's experiencing this for the first time like why would they need to see this story because right now i mean just on netflix alone with to their credit they are very good at having a lot of diverse lb gtq you know sure stories yeah, alpha, yeah. Uh, on there yeah. so uh, they definitely uh have a plethora of things and options why this one to be something important for for that community uh i think given the climate of the country and given the climate of the fact that the the community itself may not have a voice mm-hmm. or may, it may not be Loud, as loud as it should be. Right. I think it's one of those things where it needs, it's there to show um, where the movement got kicked off and right. what they had to fight through to get where we, where we are. Sure. Um, and that starts within your own microcosm of friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's, I think that's probably what I would say is is the the motivation for putting it on now sorry for putting this question kind of on the spot because i'm kind of almost thinking out loud yeah because you know the play for this is the late 60s the freak inversion is the early 70s correct uh yeah 70 72 i think yeah right so and you were saying this is 68 68 it was filmed i think it was oh really it was that yeah after the story the play was done wow i believe so i could be wrong because you're usually better at that when it comes to <laughs> research but i think it was 68 but I, I could be wrong so the you were kind of saying that it's kind of like a handful of stories for a, a yeah when you were in the 90s to kind of say, what do you think kind of helped after that point 
Like, where do you think the the narrative kind of switched? Because this was so ahead of its time. Like, what do you think? Well, I you know, kind of came the, after it. That is well, kind of the there's, update. Well, the thing is this: there's um, there's a a challenge in that the stuff that came after that sometimes fell into very stereotypical. You know, you had the the prancing queen best friend who was yeah. you know ridiculous. Um, it, it was it was a real challenge. There was there was very few after this piece. You know, there was sort of a um, a big sort of desert yeah. where where gay people just weren't shown. Um, and I think uh, when Paris is Burning was came out, which was important. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, was important. Sure. Uh, uh, Will and Grace, people, the first few seasons of Will and Grace was really important in that it showed that there were different types of gay people, just like there were different types of straight people. Yeah. You know, the people who were very reserved and very, um, you know, as they put it, and I don't like to use this phrase, but very masculine appearing. Sure. Versus the ones who were very flamboyant. Right. Um, you know, so there was, there, there, it wasn't until I would say the, the early... The other thing that was always a problem, I shouldn't say a problem, but when we get to the, a, the age of AIDS in the, in the uh, 81 um, was when I, I was working for, for Willie Ware, who was a, Willie Smith, who was a, a designer. He was the first person that I knew that passed away from the disease. Yeah. They, they tended to make movies that were nice, but the gay people were always dying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which, I mean, if you, you know, True Companion and, and, and Long Time Companion, I should say, and, and those types of movies, um, it, it was important, don't get me wrong, but, you know, there was more to the, to the gay experience than just people getting sick and, and, and dying. Sure. And that was, that was a problem that people were facing because they wanted to show this experience, which was uh, devastating. But they also were trying to compartmentalize that, even though that wasn't the case. Right. You know, there were a lot of people dying from this disease. It just happened to be this community was the first one to it showed up in. Right. So that was that was always a problem. There was there was so little life actually shown on the screen, you know, that did that wasn't going hand in hand with 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 death. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and and. I don't know if you watched it or not, but Netflix as a companion uh, documentary, like a behind the scenes documentary mm-hmm. for this film. Did you watch that? I haven't seen it. It's in my queue, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. It's called the boys in the band, something personal. And I watched uh-huh. it after I watched the film because right. I think just as important as kind of seeing this story unfold is to kind of hear the story of how it was received uh, where sure. we kind of, you know, went through that. And part of me had like this kind of offshoot thought daydream of like, would it have been more suitable? And I understand the revival of the play was very, Mm -hmm. very successful. So to to make this movie makes a lot of sense, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially we're in the age of intellectual property, proven intellectual property. Well, the other thing is this too, the, the, the shows, the show was sold out. The entire run was sold out when it went up. Sure. So, so you, the people wanted to see it, and they just were paying 
three, four, five hundred dollars a seat to see it. And if you do not have that money, and let's face it, very few of us have that money. For sure. Um, this was this was a brilliant way to show it. Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly the Hamilton effect for Disney Plus, no, but I would imagine this one is not. probably very popular on Netflix. Sure, sure, sure. I, I know I've well, seen you know, it he's pop not, up in the top ten. Well, he, it's this one, and then Ratchet because it's another Ryan Murphy product. Sure, uh, property. It's it's it is. He's he's really doing well there. <laughs> so oh yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that was on the heels of also Hollywood coming Hollywood, out on yeah. Netflix as well. So and then he has the prom coming out in December. So the yes. man's busy. <laughs> well, I'm a little annoyed though because he's he's done marquee casting for prom, which right. is bumming me out because the people that were actually in the production, I knew two or three of them that I knew in the production, he didn't consider. Mm. which is really sort of bumming me out. I mean, don't get me wrong. Meryl's in it and Nicole's in it and, you know, just a yeah. bunch of people. But, you know, Beth Level, who is fantastic. She's a fantastic Broadway singer and actress yeah. uh, who, who was doing Meryl's part. You know, like, I, I wish he would have given them a shot, you know, because if the material yeah. is that good, people will watch it, you know. For sure. And, yeah. I, and you never know what's at play there, whether that's sure. his decision oh, or whatever. But it yeah. could be Netflix. It could be Netflix decision too. You know, yeah, I mean Netflix is notoriously hands off, but right. I who knows? That's that's yeah. kind of a you know, if you think Merrill's interested, it's very hard to say no. Say no. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so sure. there is yeah. that. Uh, but sure. one of the ones that I was kind of thinking about with this though is is the story about it coming the play coming out and the story of how it was received and how you know it may have kind of changed conversations or even to see the vitriol that came through at that time to really show the real story of like and how important this movie was i i had like a thought of like maybe a a biopic about like kind of the making of the release of this film would be almost a better way to tell the story because as i was watching that you know behind the scenes documentary i was very interested in those types of stories and especially you know he based a lot of these things on friends of his uh you well know. and there's there's words there there are lines in the in the play and it also i there's some of them were cut in the in the film version but there's a great deal of self-loathing Oh, in yeah. a lot of these char- <laughs> in a lot of these characters and it's part of it is of their own doing of their own making yes but another part is what i what i said earlier was there was no one that they could talk to right. that they could say you have no idea what i'm going through and the ones that they could talk to they were fighting their own demons and there was a there was a certain level of you know what I've got enough crap going on in my life. So we're just going to either brush over your issue right. or we're going to focus on me now. Right. You know? So yeah, it's a tough, it's a very tough situation. Yeah. It's one of the things that I found interesting too. And I guess we can kind of play a little more with spoilers. So for anyone sure. who wants to, to listen further, I hope you watch the film. Uh, I, I recommend still watching the film. The, the, the story is, uh, very compelling and, and yeah. has a lot of themes that translate to today still and and are and a lot of the performances in the cast is very impressive. You could tell uh, in a way that it, it's yeah, their their chemistry is apparent. 
you know, definitely from having all those performances together and everything else, it's, it's definitely worthwhile to, to turn that on and, and see them kind of cook. Uh, yeah. Especially, well, especially someone, is, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Well, no, it's, it's one of the, uh, especially for the character of Michael and, and Harold uh, was it's one of the best versions of s- scenery chewing that you will find. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it, Harold and Michael, especially. Uh, yeah. And it's, it speaks to the caliber of actor that you have in those parts because they could come off just like a bunch of bitchy queens <laughs> yep. or it could come off as people who are uh, really intense on getting their point across. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, one of my favorite lines that, that Harold says when, it, when they're talking, when he's talking about Michael is, you know, when he's sober, he's dangerous. But when he's drunk, he's, he's dead. He's lethal. Yeah. Um, it, then that's and that sets a very dangerous tone. But it's true. Yeah, uh, and, and it, it obviously is uh, foreshadowing of things to come. For yeah. Sure. And, but you know, the movie does have a lot of good humor too. In oh, here, which, uh, and and a lot of that is Emery. A lot of it is is Emery just being delightful and friendly and. I mean, given the fact of what he brings as a gift to well, this was, birthday party is just riotously gonna, funny. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, Charlie Carver, I think, is actually is really so funny. Good. He is probably the two, he probably has the two best lines in the whole thing for me, especially Which, as far as humor, because uh, yeah. he gets the the two classic lines, the are you good in bed? Well, I try to show a little affection. Keeps me from feeling like such a like whore. A whore. Yes. And, and then the other one, when ah. they ask him, and what do you do for $20? He says, I do my best. My best. And, and that is two impressive lines that you just have because to laugh at. <laughs> the way that, that that text, he doesn't even have a name. They just call him Cowboy. Cowboy. And it's yeah. just... It's, I love the midnight cowboy reference. Yeah, you were supposed to come at midnight, and you're here too. You're here too early. Yeah, but he, when you look at him, yes, he's somewhat naive, but he's also one of the most genuinely loving. Yeah, people in that room, probably yeah. one of the few that are genuinely loving people in that room. Yeah, and which is why the hate on him is brutal to take especially if you yeah. don't have anyone in your life who kind of like you said the yeah. the type of self-loathing and and vitriol that these people are yeah. capable of amongst themselves like if their shorthand is just going at each other then yeah. it's very jarring to see them kind of you know make fun mm-hmm. of how dumb he is to his face and <laughs> yeah. well you know and here's the thing there are people in that room that make fun of him but they're not being cruel. Parsons' right. character, Michael, his goal is to be cruel. And his goal is to make him feel awful. And because especially it's something that is for Harold, so he's going to make it that much worse. So One of the other things is when, the, the, and I remember doing this on stage, when he goes at Harold and Harold's not having it, but right. Harold doesn't re- Harold doesn't raise his voice, and he doesn't raise his voice throughout the entire show. 
Yeah. But his point is made. And he right. doesn't, Michael doesn't like that. And when he says, don't threaten me, because I'm the only person in this room who could play this game better than you. Right. It's a good, it's a good line. Yeah. A good uh, line. Yeah, that definitely, that, that kind of wrap up before he leaves, that kind of yeah. monologue there is well, very well done. Well, let me just, now that you mentioned that, the one thing that really bummed me out about this film was the ending of it. Mm. Because the ending of it on the stage tied directly to what Michael says as he leaves. I'm not going to ruin that line because it's a beautiful line and it's right. a sad line. But the, on the stage, it fades to black at that line. I see. And I know that Ryan Murphy wanted to show what happened to the people when they left that room, which I get. Right. And I'm not saying that some of the scenes that followed weren't beautiful because especially between um, uh, Emery and uh, Bernard, um, you know, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. There's, there's, they're quick, but they're beautiful. But I think it really should have ended the way that it ended on stage. Okay. That's my opinion. Yeah. I was a little, not Yeah. A little confused by the ending. Well, Uh, here's the problem there was some lines that were cut from the stage version. Right. Which the um, mention of, I can't, I don't want to go. The mention of uh, the catalyst of that final line. Right. There were other mentions to it leading up to that, to that phrase. Right. Uh, probably about three or four pages before the end okay. of the play. It mentioned something like that. Right. You know, so, but I think that would have been, a bit more true to uh, the source material, but I get it. I mean, if you have New York to play with, you might as well use it, you know? For sure, especially for a movie that has to yeah. be within a confined well, space. I have to say, the one thing that irked me was the very last scene with Parsons. I didn't understand it, which, when he's leaving the, that, the church... Yes. No, that's where I, I was saying that's just, the confusing part. For I don't, me. I don't get it. I don't, I don't know what's, I don't know. <laughs> and I've been looking online to see if I could figure out the, the reasoning behind it. I right. can't really find a, uh, a, uh, explanation that works right. for me, okay. but that's just my opinion on that one. Yeah. Cause the implication is possible that something, I, I guess I won't go too something, crazy. No, but some no. He could be on his way to something, or running away from something, or yeah, you know, yeah. I don't, he's either I don't compelled know. to get somewhere, or he's compelled to do something awful. Awful. So, so I, that well, is where I think the ambiguity, uh, the ambiguity, yeah, ambiguity Ambi- of it. We none uh, of us can say that word. Yes. So don't worry about it. <laughs> it was right. But no, there. the um, yeah. the um, the. And that goes back to the beginning of the play when he's, when Harold's trying to put him in this place. Right. About his financial status. Right. And he does that after, you know, uh, Michael indicates to him that he may get depressed at a point, but he's not going to follow through with any plans that he has. Because he's weak. You know yeah. what I mean? He says that something along that line. Right. But uh, no, it's, I mean, it's a, 
no, it does have its its ups and downs in the the production value of it and stuff. But ultimately, I think it's it's something that naturally I don't think kids of a certain age should should watch it because of some of the scenes. But I think a certain teenage level between sixteen and up, yeah. if they watch it with their families, if their families are uh, supportive of if they're young gay people, sure. I think it's important. See the 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 challenges, of course. It is sort of geared towards uh, the gay man, the, the gay gay men experience. It doesn't speak to anything about lesbian experiences. Sure. Because just the way that they are. And they don't even speak a lot of, uh, they don't speak of having, them having any female friends or female relatives. Right. So, I mean, these people really are just, uh, they, they, they've all linked up to sort of uh, circle the wagons with them. And the one thing that I think is very, very, uh, heartwarming, if you could use that in this in this production, <laughs> yeah. is when um, Harold and Michael finish having a very heated discussion, and he's and he asks Tex to take his birthday gifts, yeah. which I think is hysterical. Yes, but he looks at him and he says, "You know what? I'll just I'll call you in the morning." Yeah, I, I did. And I you did know, find that, uh, and you know heartwarming that as well. You know that Harold will definitely call him as is every guest at that party will call each other in the morning. Yeah. Even how most people exited outside of Bernard. I mean, people left or, or stayed in some other (laughs) versions that, uh, you know, and still were kind of like optimistic or, or at least had some kind of, uh, no, no ill will towards Michael, which is astounding, which almost seems like they're in a, very toxic relationship with Michael. Oh, abso- absolutely. And there's, there's no, there's no denying that. And I think that the characters are not in denial of it either. They right. know perfectly well that some of the, the relationships within these group of people uh, are terribly unhealthy, uh, but it's sort of mutually assured destruction. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's something that just they deal with. I mean, and you know, this was one event, but if you, you like his, um, Barson's, uh, interaction with, with Matt Bomer, where he sees this guy every weekend. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this one situation is an indicative of, of their relationship, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because, like you said, like maybe it's such a small community, or at least of people yeah. that you feel comfortable enough or safe enough around to, to, to have. To just, yeah, and you could be a bitch with some of your friends. And yeah, they're not going to hold that. They're not going to hold that against you. That's just uh, like, oh, he's having one of his events. Exactly. Um, there's there's a great line in um, in All About Eve, where great Margo. Movie. Yeah, where Margot was drinking at, at the party for, um, for Bill and Karen walks up on the first landing of her apartment mm. and she sees Margot down three or four martinis and she says to her, um, let me ask you, is it over or is it just beginning? <laughs> and she says, well, I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, please, we've seen you like this before. So I just need to know what we're in for. And yes. it's just, it's just, you know, that when, when you go, oh, Margo's being Margo again. And that's what each of these people in that room are saying. Michael's drunk again. Right. Or Michael's just being mean again. And then you move on. 
Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Unfortunately, we all have uh, some version of these people in our lives yeah. too. So that's, oh, yeah. it happens mm-hmm. everywhere. So at least for, you know, maybe if you're someone like me and you're not coming from the, uh, the gay community, you sure. know, you can, you could definitely see the drama here. You could definitely see yourself or your type of friends or those type of things mm-hmm. in this story. It's, it's grounded in enough universal reality to, to definitely, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, like gel said, yourself to some of these characters. Like I said, you, there's, there's women in that, that will watch this, this um, movie and they'll go, oh my God, that's just like Carolyn. Or sure. <laughs> there's some teenagers that go, oh, remember, uh, you know, Christine Sampson in high school? Remember what a bitch she was? That's <laughs> like her. That's like how Harold could be. So, I mean, yeah. it is, there, there is a shared experience. It just depends on the level in which you come from. You know, where you come from. For sure. Yeah. And, and sir, you couldn't have done a better job. This is Girlfriend. incredible. You're, you have so much detailed knowledge. I'm glad you can kind of fill in some of the blanks that maybe I had watching the film and, sure. and really have a detailed perspective. I did, I'm, 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 I'm sad to say I didn't even know that you were in a production of it beforehand. I'm, I'm glad well, but, that we you got know, one that of these days, thorough I'll, look. I'll actually show you a picture back when, like I said, Ice Cover the Earth much skinnier much prettier <laughs> i had i had curly hair now i have very little so yeah, mm-hmm. yeah hey so, i'm yeah. i'm, I'm going through fun. that phase yeah. of my life right now too so yeah. don't feel maybe, too bad what i'll do is maybe i'll throw a party like michael does and we could just <laughs> we'll just deal with it only yes. it'll be a little bit nicer and maybe yes. we'll have to wear, we'll have to wear which is good because we can do six feet apart which is just like the movie yes. and uh only we have to wear festive masks instead so it'll be fun Yes, I think a, 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 a quarantine pity party would be yeah. the ultimate experience right now. So I am all for it. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. But thank you so much for doing this, Kevin. It I, I appreciate pleasure. it. Uh, and obviously my audience will now appreciate it. So thank I'm you so glad. much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.